don't know if I'm supposed to say this, but thanks for your ministry music each week to Pastor David, but I second that motion as well. <laughs> I printed off the email that I send to our accompanists and song leaders and left it up here so that the order of music would be known by all. And at the end of the muse at the end of the email, almost every week, I say something like, Thanks for your music. And it, it might seem repetitive to them, but I do genuinely mean it, because um, coming to church and singing without having the pianist and the person that plays the keyboard would be kinda sad. It'd be kinda um, not as nice. So, anyways. That's why it says that, Scott. <laughs> All right. Take your Bibles and turn with me to Romans chapter 8, verses 12 through 17. Romans chapter 8, verses 12 through 17. If you remember uh, from now like three weeks ago, uh, when we first... When we last looked at the book of Romans, uh, the book of Romans, and specifically Romans chapter 8, is written that believers would be comforted in their position with Christ. And so Romans chapter 8 is known as the great comfort chapter of the Bible. And Romans chapter 8 at this passage is going to tell us about the benefits that we have um, in the Holy Spirit and through the Holy Spirit. And so there is comfort in the Holy Spirit which makes me think about the fact that a lot of companies want to entice us to uh, purchase things. So we are enticed by big companies with rewards. And you might go, what does he mean by that? Well, let's stop and think about all the different rewards programs that are, there are. There is Kohl's Cash. There is the Culver's app, and you can download that and get app rewards. And McDonald's even has a little app. If you buy so many of their specialty drinks, then you can get a free one. I don't do these things. I'm just telling you that they are available to you. Um, there is Subway. You can get the little Subway rewards card. I used to do that. Don't do that anymore. We don't eat it at Subway enough to make it worthwhile. Me and my wife last weekend went to mater Motherhood Maternity, and they now do uh, huh? No, it's not an announcement. We went there to buy some dresses for Bethany. Um, that's another story. But at motherhood maternity now, they give baby bucks. See, I mean, we are continually trying to be enticed to purchase things from different companies. And the benefits that we have in the Holy Spirit are far greater and do not come anywhere. Uh, all these benefits from other companies don't come anywhere close to the benefits that we have in the Holy Spirit. The big idea, what does Paul want us to understand from Romans chapter 8 verses 12 through 17 is submit to the Holy Spirit's leading and enjoy the blessings. Okay, So we're supposed to submit and as we submit, we're going to see that he's going to outline all these different blessings that we have as we are in the Holy Spirit. Let's read Romans chapter 8, verses 12 through 17. We'll go to the Lord in a word of prayer, and then we'll look at the text a little bit in more detail. Romans chapter 8, verse 12. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. 
But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you do not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you receive the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified with him. Let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer. Father, we do pray that as your word is presented, that you would encourage and challenge our hearts with it. In your name we pray, amen. The first idea is we need to see our position. And what is our position? Paul does not hold any punches. He states it quite clearly. Brethren, we are debtors. We owe a debt. And he tells us who our debt is not to, and the implication is if our debt is not to the flesh, our debt is instead to the Spirit, to live according to Him. He says, therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the, lit, to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. And then he goes on and he talks about living according to the Holy Spirit. And debt is a voluntary thing, right? Taking on debt is a voluntary action. You don't just happen to be in debt. You purposefully do it. So if me and Bethany went to the store and we didn't have the money and we were to swipe our credit card and purchase a $1,000 item at the store, whatever that item could be, that would be voluntarily me taking on debt. In a couple of months, we're going to be purchasing our first house and we are going to voluntarily, purposefully take out a mortgage of more money than I've ever uh, borrowed in my life. I'm going to voluntarily enter into that debt. And so what we need to realize is that this relationship that we have, when we came to Christ, we took on debt. But it's not a debt that we are supposed to pay back. Like we're trying to um, earn what we've received or something like that. Instead, it is a debt that we live for him. It is our responsibility then as having a new master to now live for Christ and not to live for ourselves. And so Paul comes right out and he says, therefore, brethren, we are debtors. We have a debt and it's a voluntary action, something that we purposefully put ourselves into when we came to Christ. We have this responsibility. We have to live a different type of lifestyle. And that's because we owe a debt. And it's not like God just randomly put this debt over us and he's like calling you like some random creditor that you don't actually owe and they're harassing you. That's not the idea. The idea is when you entered into this relationship with Christ, you took on this responsibility to live a different lifestyle. And the concept really is building on everything from Romans chapter 6 verses 1 all the way through 8.11. You see, therefore, brethren, we are debtors. And so what does, what is Romans chapter 6, what is Romans chapter 7, what is Romans chapter 8 talking about so far? And last week on Sunday morning, we looked at Romans chapter 6, and if you were here, you remember that Romans chapter 6 is talking about you are dead to sin, you died with Christ, you've been buried with Christ, you've been raised with Christ to live a new lifestyle. Romans chapter 7 talks about the law and how we're no longer under the law. And if we try to live according to the law, 
we will have a very miserable Christian life. Romans chapter 7 ends with some of the most depressing language. And that's Paul saying, this is what happens when I try to live in my own strength and glorify God. It doesn't work. I end up depressed. I end up discouraged. Romans chapter 8 begins with, therefore there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And that's because we're in Christ Jesus. And now we have this new relationship with the Holy Spirit. And he says, looking at all that, the fact that we have a new relationship, a new union with the, with the Son, looking at the fact that we are no longer under law, but we're under grace, that we can submit to the Spirit, looking at the fact that there is no condemnation on your lives, because of all that, you are a debtor. And so our approach should be one of humility and one where we seek to live by the Spirit. But Paul doesn't stop there. Paul goes on and he says, not only do we have a new position, he says we have a new responsibility. So what is our responsibility? That's in verses 12 through 13. We'll start in verse 12 once again. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. And so our responsibility is to realize that the old nature is still very much alive. And so while doctrinal unity is no substitute for holiness, that's true as well. We can't think that, well, I'll just, you know, hold to strong doctrine and in replacement for that, I'll just live how I want because I understand truth. I go to a good, solid Bible preaching church. I know what truth is. I can answer any Bible question you ask me. That is not a substitute. Paul says that we have to live according to the Spirit and not according to the flesh. So we can't just have head knowledge about who Jesus is. We actually have to live it out and apply it. But he kind of uses some interesting language. And you might be kind of asking, what does that mean? What does that look like? How do I do that? In verse 13, he says, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So he's talking about being led by or living according to the Spirit. What does that look like? How do I do that? How do I know if I am doing that? What does the Spirit's leading and my living according to him look like? It should be consistent and not sporadic. That means that it should be something that is a normal pattern of our life. We should regularly be able to look at our lives and go, yeah, my life is in conformity with God's word. It shouldn't be something like, oh, well, you know, um, it happened a couple weeks ago. I, I, I really had a good day that day. And then um, about a month ago, I had a really good day back then. It should be something that's consistent. That doesn't mean we won't sin. We all sin. But it should be a consistent pattern, something that is developing, something that is growing, not something that is sporadic. God's leading is corrective and not protective. And that means that he corrects us, he instructs us. But he doesn't protect us, he doesn't make it impossible for us to sin. But when we do sin, because we all sin, none of us are completely consistent in our living according to the Holy Spirit or being led by the Holy Spirit, that's not possible. 
We all have a sin nature and we sometimes give into that. But he does come and he does correct. He does come and rebuke when we fail. It controls and not simply directs our life. God's spirit is also controlling. And this is kind of where you might feel like, well, isn't that kind of a contradiction if he's not protecting you? But he does control. He is our master. We looked at that last week in Romans chapter 6 where he talks about you are now the slave to righteousness and you should be producing righteousness in your life. God's spirit controls. But it doesn't just do that. It also helps and encourages and does not stifle and repress. So God also comes along, the Holy Spirit comes along, and he encourages us and helps us as we live according to the Spirit. He isn't simply pushing us down with his thumb until we're, you know, a really smashed grape and then we do what he wants. That's not how it works. God encourages us and helps us as we live a life that's honoring and glorifying to him. So it's our responsibility to surrender to him as he assists us. It's not him doing everything. It's not let go and let God. There's our involvement and his involvement. And together we can live a life that honors and glorifies God. But after Paul's talked about our new position that we have, that we are debtors, and he's talked about our responsibility that we are supposed to live according to the Spirit. He then goes on and he's going to list a number of benefits that we have because of this relationship that we have with the Holy Spirit. And the first one is in verse 13. And there's a positive and a negative to this benefit. Verse 13. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Note the interesting paradox. Death will happen. You see that in verse 13? If you live according to the flesh, so if you're living for your flesh, you're serving your flesh and not serving the Spirit, what happens? Physical death, early death. You will die not you might die he says that there is a consequence for living a life that is in disrespect to who god is but the other way there is death too but it's not death of you but if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body you will live so either way there's death we can't avoid death the question is, do we want to put to death the deeds of the body and not live for sin? Or do we instead want to see ourselves come to the grave early? It's interesting. The idea is that they are, in a very real sense, forfeiting their lives. It's kind of funny. We would never want our sports team, whatever sports team or uh, sports game you like, we would never want our sports team to forfeit the game. You know, like, it's a great day, the weather's great, there's no reason to forfeit, and they're just like, eh, I'll get paid anyways. We don't need to worry about this game. We would go, 
That's ridiculous. And we'd be ranting and raving on Facebook and Twitter and posting YouTube videos and on and on and on. And yet, we do the same thing when we choose not to live according to the Spirit. We risk God's wrath. We risk God punishing us on this earth with bringing us to the grave early. It's a very interesting thing. But when we choose to live according to the Spirit and we're honoring and glorifying Him, He says, then you have life. But He goes on in verse 14 and He tells us that there is another benefit that we have, and that is that we are sons of God. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. If you're one of those people who chooses to submit to the Holy Spirit and to live according to his will for your life, then you are one of the sons of God. So those who are led by the Spirit are sons. And you might be thinking, well, that's really, really not nice because I am a woman and I'm not a man and now I'm referred to as a son. But we'll actually see that what he's doing is he's referring to, to the right of inheritance. And that's why it's important that you're sons, because that means you get to be heirs with Christ. And we'll see more about that in verse 17. So he uses the term sons, not because he's misogynistic, but because he's saying you have the equal standing even with men. It's actually elevating women, not putting them down. But he goes on in verse 15 and he says, there is another benefit to living this way, to being in the spirit. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. That brings up an interesting question, doesn't it? What is the spirit of fear? It's an interesting question. One that I wrestled with, because what does it mean for us who have no condemnation? Because that's how Paul starts Romans chapter 8, right? He says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And then here he says, for you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. So why would he bring up fear when there's no condemnation? And what he's saying is, now that you are under grace, you're no longer under law. And so you don't have to fear. Because we're not worried about paying the penalty for those sins. If you've ever had kid or watched a kid or interacted with kids a lot, it's interesting. They may never do something like touch the stove or try to walk down the stairs by themselves, right? They might, but they might not. But as soon as you tell them, don't touch the stove or don't try to walk down the stairs by yourself, that becomes something that they want to do. But it also reveals to them something that's wrong because their mom or dad or their guardian or whoever's watching them has said, don't do that. That is wrong. Even if it's not a moral thing, for them to do that because they were told not to do that is then sin. 
And so when the law came, all of a sudden, we knew when we were sinning even more because there's over 600 commandments in the Old Testament law code. And so now all of a sudden, they know all these laws and they know that they continually break them and that they are never able to fulfill these laws. And that brings fear. God said, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. And in your own ability, just like Paul finds out in Romans chapter 7, you can't do it. Paul couldn't do it. And he was the best of them all. He says, concerning the law, he was really good at it. But he says, when he tried to live and honor God that way, it didn't work. Okay? And so what he's saying here is, now that you have the spirit, it's not a spirit that leads you back into fear because, oh, what about the laws? He's saying, you are now sons. You are now adopted. And so now you can cry out, Abba, Father. You have that father-son, father-child relationship. And that should be something that you enjoy, something that you love. So the big idea is knowing we are deserving of God's wrath. That's what the spirit of fear is. Knowing that we are deserving of God's wrath because we have and we know what the law is. And we can never fulfill it. We cannot fulfill it. And so Christ came and did it for us. Okay? So we can cry out, Abba, Father. It's interesting. I'm not saying don't say this. But it is interesting. When you listen to some people pray, they hardly ever refer to God as Father. They'll say, Lord, 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 Lord. God is Lord, okay? Jesus is Lord. I am all for that. However, if you never talk to God as your Father, you should examine your life. Are you truly a child of God? Do you have that Father relationship? Or is he simply somebody that you view as an overmaster? Or do you see that Father relationship in your life? should challenge you when you pray you should approach God as father not simply as Lord it's not bad to say Lord but you should also when you go to him in prayer cry out especially in times of trial I think that's primarily what he's saying is when you have times where you're you're stressed when you have times where you're perplexed when you have times where you don't know what's going on in life you can cry out and you're using terminology that is very, very dear. You're saying, Dad, Father. And so when we go to God in prayer, we should do that. So our position should impact our prayers. Verse 16 provides us with another one. Witnesses that we are children of God. Verse 16, the Spirit himself bears witness to our spirit that we are children of God. Did I read that right? No. That's how I read it, though, while I was studying, and I just read through the text. That's what I read it as. Let's read it again. I'll read it the way I read it. The Spirit himself bears witness to our spirit that we are children of God. It's with our spirit. Our spirit is supposed to join with the Holy Spirit and testifying that we are children of God. 
It's not two. And as I was as I was studying and preparing in my notes, I had the Holy Spirit testifies to me that I'm a child of God. And that's good. It's really good. But then as I was studying more, I came across stuff and I'm like, no, I missed it. My own spirit should also be testifying. Why does my spirit testify? Why should I be testifying along with the Holy Spirit? So my spirit bears witness with the Holy Spirit. It's because my spirit knows the truth and testifies to it. We have this father relationship with God. And our spirit knows that we are now sons. And so our spirit can testify, yes, I am a son of God. I am a co-heir with Christ. Our spirits testify with the Holy Spirit. It's a very, very interesting benefit that comes with our relationship to the Holy Spirit. But then... Verse 17 provides us with another benefit. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified with him. We are promised that we will be glorified. And when we are glorified, we will share in his inheritance. We will share in his inheritance. How do we know that we will share in his inheritance? We know because we will be heirs because he is. We are co-heirs. Christ cannot receive his inheritance unless we receive ours. And this comes when we are glorified. And that might sound a little scary to some of you. I don't necessarily really look forward to the day when I die, but that's ultimately when we get glorified. Okay? But that's when it happens. That's when we receive our full inheritance. That's when we get the full benefits of being a co-heir with Christ. So our inheritance comes when we are glorified. But notice this comes with suffering. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. What is the suffering? Paul tells us that we should expect to suffer. But what does he mean by that? What does that suffering look like? In the very next text, he's going to talk about suffering. In verses 18 through 25, he's going to talk about the world and how the fact that it is breaking down and that it is cursed. And as a result, it does not produce all that it could produce. We have trials. We have heartaches. Cars break down. Houses leak. We get sick. Things like that. But I don't think that's what he's saying when he says, if indeed we suffer with him. It's not the suffering because of sin either. 
If you go with me to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 20, you see Paul talk about suffering because of our sin. Or Peter talked about suffering because of sin. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 20. And keep your finger there because we'll be in 1 Peter 4 in a little bit. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 20. Paul's talking about the fact that some people suffer because of sin. For what credit is it if when you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently? For when you do good and suffer, but when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. You can't say when you go to prison because you killed somebody because you were driving under the influence, I'm suffering for Jesus. They put me in prison and it's for Jesus. That doesn't work. That doesn't make sense. Right, Randy? <laughs> All right. But when you're doing good, when you're doing what is right, and then you suffer for it, that is something that is commendable before God. 1 Peter 4, verse 12, or verse 15, is going to say the same type of thing. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 15. But not, let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or as a busybody in other people's matters. We're not supposed to be suffering because we're sinning. It's expected that you'll suffer because of sin. It's part of the consequences of sin. But we're supposed to suffer with Christ. It's because we suffer because we are in association with Christ. And so you see he goes on and he says it is in connection with Christ. It's in connection with Jesus. When you look at the full context of 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 through 19, he talks about this in greater detail. He tells us that we should expect that we will face suffering, that we will face trials. Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's suffering, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you. For the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part, he is blasphemed. But on your part, he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or as a busybody in other man's matters. Yet, if anyone suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Now, if the righteous one is scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good as to a faithful creator. When we suffer with God, not only do we glorify him and elevate him and put him on a pedestal, but ultimately also leads to our own glorification. And so when you go... He says in verse 19, Therefore let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good as to a faithful creator. 
when we suffer because of our connection with Christ, when we, when we do like Philip did, or when we do like Andrew did in the Gospel of John this morning, and we tell people, I have found the Messiah, come and see, and they mock you for it, or they distance themselves from you, or they don't want to come to your family gatherings, that brings glory to God, but it also, that suffering will end up in God taking care of it. And it points to God's goodness and faithfulness in creation. And he says, if God is faithful in those things, he will be faithful in also glorifying you. So it ends in not only your being glorified, but also in God's glorification. So what does Romans chapter 8 verses 12 through 17 mean for me and you? What? How is my life changed? Or how should my life be changed? I don't have my conclusion. Oops. You have it, and I have it here. So I will tell you. Realize you're a debtor. You and I owe a debt. And it's not a debt to try and pay Jesus back for what he's done. We can't do that. We would fail. That's why Jesus had to come and die. Jesus came and died because we can't pay him back. But we live a different type of life because of our relationship with God. And he says, you are a debtor. Realize that it is your responsibility to live this kind of life. You're supposed to live according to the Spirit. But then we should also enjoy and take comfort in the benefits that are found in submission to the Holy Spirit. And these benefits are avoiding early death. I don't know about you, but I don't really like yearn for the day when I'll die. I'm pretty happy with life. I have the job that I've wanted for like the last 11 years. Um, I have a beautiful wife, beautiful baby. We're getting ready to buy a house. I mean, life's pretty good. I'm pretty happy. I definitely don't want to go to the grave early because I'm living in sin. That would be really sad and stupid, okay? So we can enjoy the benefit that we get to enjoy life that God gives us because of our relationship with him. Enjoy the knowledge. Take comfort in the knowledge that you are a son of God, and as a son of God, you're an heir with God, a co-heir. You don't have to live and fear of condemnation. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You couldn't fulfill the law, so Jesus sent his son to pay the penalty for you. You and I can bear witness with the Spirit that we are sons of God. And finally, as we go through suffering, and we will suffer with Christ on account of our relationship with him. Know that it results in his glory and ultimately our being glorified and being transferred into glory. Let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer. Father, we do thank you for the comfort that you give us through your word. We pray that it would not only comfort us, but that it would also challenge us to live lives that are honoring and pursuing your goodness and your glory. And in your name we pray, amen.